Welcome to Golf Better at Edwin Watts Golf, episode 113. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Purcell. Thanks so much for joining us. We say it every time if you're a first-time listener or a long-time subscriber. Either way, we're glad you're with us. And one thing that's been great about this year is our list of guests that are legends and Hall of Famers has been just unbelievable. Ken Venturi, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player. And uh, luckily, it continues today. This guy needs no introduction, but we'll give him one anyway. Six-time major champion on the PGA Tour. Six-time Ryder Cup team member. Five-time Varden Trophy winner, World Golf Hall of Famer in 1981 induction. Comes courtesy of Bridgestone Golf, everyone's favorite, Mr. Lee Trevino. Lee, thanks so much for taking time with us today. Tom, Tom, how are you? Oh, man, I don't know if it's a coincidence, 113. Don't give me that 13. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, man? I hope we have a lot of, I I tell you what, I hope we have a lot of happy listeners and, and, uh, and, and, and people that are avid golfers and have a passion for this game because at 72, you're not going to believe me. You called, and, and, and I'm in my shop, and I'm putting some grips on some other irons, and here I am. I'm still looking for it. I'm still looking for it. I probably should go down to the shop, huh? You should go down to the <laughs> Come down to Watson. We'll, we'll probably, take care of that probably, for you. You probably can help me. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of the people, the young people, they're listening on their iPods and iPads and, and all that. They, they know about you, but they may not know how you got started being a young guy out in Dallas, how you got started in the game. Talk about how that happened and your love affair with the game. You know, I'm going to tell you something, Tom, and a lot of people don't really know this because they've, they've, they've read a lot about me and everything. I, I was born on a cotton farm in Raleigh, Texas. I lived in, a, in an old sharecropper's house. Uh, I quit school at the age of 14. Uh, I was working, went, went to work, trying to help support my family. And then I uh, got in a little trouble uh, when I was 16, almost 17, and, and uh and they asked me if uh, if I wanted to go in the Marine Corps or, or I was going to get in more trouble. So I ended up going in the Marine Corps, and uh, that's where I really got introduced to it. I caddied a little bit as, as, as a young man on weekends and stuff, but I, I never was a, a, an avid golfer. I never was interested in it too much because, naturally, it was a, it was a white-collar game, uh, you know, back in the 50s, as you well know. It still is kind of a little bit, but not, not as much. And I, I, I kind of... Didn't, I didn't pursue it, didn't have the passion for it. Uh, you, any individual sport, to be good, you have to have a passion for it. You, you have to have a will and a passion. And I went in the Marine Corps, and, and I was in the Pacific. Uh, I was in 3rd Marine Division, 9th Marines. I was a machine gunner, to tell you the truth, and running the jungles out there in the South Pacific. And then one day I saw a, a brochure uh, on, the, uh, on the rec room, and uh, it said try out the third minute golf team. And I said, you know what, I played a little golf, I'm going to try that. So sure enough, I qualified, and I made the number five man, and, I, and, I, and that's where I found my passion for it. I say that, that I found my passion. I was 19 years old when I actually started playing, and uh, I found the passion for it. But then again, I, I say that out of the corner of one mouth, and then on the other side, uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I didn't pursue it. I actually went to work at the Columbian Club, which is a Jewish club here in Dallas. And uh, I went to work on a construction crew building a new nine holes. And uh, and that's where a guy discovered me. I'd been hitting balls at his driving range. And he says, you know, he said, you look like you have a little potential. And I always thought potential meant you hadn't done it yet, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I went to work for him and started practicing. And believe it or not, I practiced for four years and entered my first tournament all the time, I had a hell of a passion for it because I was making more money playing golf than I was working. 
Did you did you have a favorite player back then, or was there any time for that? Oh, we didn't know. Tom, you know that question's been asked to me a thousand times, but I'm going to tell you something. In 1962-63, I had no idea who Sam Snead was, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, Ben Hogan. I had no idea, none, that there was even any professional golf going on. There was no television. We never saw golf on television, so you didn't you didn't get into it. And like I told you, we were just trying to exist. We were going from day to day, and we wasn't paying attention. So I, I never patterned anybody after anything. The only time that I ever knew there was golf tournaments going on is you remember in 19, what was it, 62, 63, the PGA came to Dallas. Right. And the, the, the gentleman that discovered me at this driving range took me there, and I met Dutch Harrison. I'll never forget it. I met Dutch Harrison. And, and, and later on in life, I did an outing for him. I, I did a fundraiser for him in Hot Springs, Arkansas, after he was kind of down and out a little bit. But we had no idea. I had no idea who they were. And you have to understand that I played my first tournament after four years of practicing, which was the Texas State Open in 1965. And I won it. I won it in the playoff over Frank Wharton, another gentleman from Dallas. And then I won the New Mexico Open that same year, repeated it in 66, and then I qualified for the Open in 66, 67, I finished fifth at Balderstraw. 68, I, I won it. And and then the rest is history. Now, you have to understand that I, uh, I hurt my back. I got hit by lightning in 75 and hurt my back. And by 1981, I was washed up. I was in such bad shape with my back that I took a... Remember, I took the job with uh, NBC. Right. And I came out of the tower in 1984 at Shoal Creek and won the PGA. Remember, remember it like yesterday. You, you, normally, it was a blade, it was a blade putter, but you changed putters that week, right? I did. I bought my wife, my, my new wife. I'd married a little young lady in 1983, and uh, we went to the British Open. This is a funny story. And I hit every green at the British Open. I shot, and I and I and I and I just couldn't make a putt. So finally, I finished way down the line. And we went to the Dutch Open the next week, and I hit I hit 18 greens and shot 72. And I walked off the putting green. God's truth, I walked off the putting green. And she says to me, she says, let me ask you a question. I said, what is it? She said, who won the British Open? I said, uh, uh, I said Seve. She said, he, what does he put with, a ping? He said, who, won, who finished second? I said, Watson. He said, what does he put with, ping? Who finished third? I said, couples. I said, he puts the ping, doesn't he? I said, yeah. She said, don't you think it's time for you to buy you a ping? <laughs> so she went, she went in the pro shop. And she bought me a putter for 55 bucks, and it was the only ping in the rack, and it was an A-blade. And it was upright, and it had about 17-degree loft on it. So I hit it on the carpet to make it flat, and then I put it face down on the floor and jumped on it and, and got the loft off of it, and I shot 64 the next day. <laughs> That's the one that you kissed, right, on, when you turned and kissed each time? Yes, yeah. yes. and it's, it's over the mantelpiece. It's over the fireplace right now at Shoal Creek. Yeah, I gave it to Mr. Thompson, before he did, passed away, I, I presented it to him, and they, we put it in a little display case, and, 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 and it's over there. But you know what? I had a, a great career. I, I won 29 tournaments on the regular tour, 29 tournaments on the, on, the, on the senior tour, four majors on the senior tour, and six majors on the regular tour, 89 tournaments worldwide, and I, I only played the regular tour 13 years. And, and here, and, and it, it, you know what? This, this is living proof. Living proof that if you have a passion, and if you, you have a passion for it and you want it bad enough, you can achieve it. No question. Of all those tournaments, Lee, and, and the awards, the, the Varden Trophy, you know, you just owned it in the early 70s. 
And it, is there anything that stands out in the back of your mind that you're most most proud of? Well, uh, let me let me answer you on uh, the one thing that I've always is I've always wore my truth truth serum on my shoulder, and I always tell people uh, when they ask me a question, regardless of, of, of what it what the outcome is, I always tell them the truth on this thing. And you just mentioned the Borden Trophy. You have to understand that when I played the Borden Trophy, you had to play 18 tournaments, okay? Or, or uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You had to play 20 tournaments, I think, to qualify. Uh, and that was for low scoring. And the only read, I only won one of those uh, that I thought that my score, Jack Nicholas's score was lower than mine for those times that I won, but he didn't play enough tournaments to qualify. So I'm, I'm barring his four. <laughs> you had it in 70, 71, 72, 74, and then in 80. That is unbelievable. Yeah, and, and, and Jack, Jack actually was, 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 was a, had a lower scoring average at that time than I, but he, you had to play, I think, 20, 20 tournaments, in other words, to qualify. 84 rounds, if I'm not mistaken, or something, 21 tournaments, I believe it was. And he, he never played more than 18 a year, so he never qualified for the board. And if truth be known, I don't think he ever won it. But if you look at his scores, uh, he, he, I think he was probably lower than anybody else all the time. Well, you're talking about Jack. Talk about, Two questions with that. Talk about the snake incident. <laughs> and, and then talk, is, is, was Jack misunderstood back then? No, no, no. Jack was a, to tell you what, Jack is a, is a super individual. One of the greatest dads I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to tell you something. If, if, if you wanted to pattern, uh, uh, if you want to be a father, uh, you, you, you should be Jack Nicholas because, I mean, he had, I think, five children. I think he had four boys or five boys and a girl. And, and I, I'll tell you something. He, he, he never missed a volleyball game, a football game, a little league game. I mean, he was his number one concern. And his number one priority was his kids. Goff was secondary to him. It's fantastic. His father must have been a phenomenal guy. But Jack was never misunderstood. Jack was, was strictly business when he got out on the golf course. If you catch him, if you catch him at home or you, you catch him uh, in a restaurant or something, he's a funny guy, friendly, one of the nicest people I've ever met, and his wife is, is, is also. The snake incident actually started earlier in the week. Uh, we actually got that snake. And we were doing cameos for Sports Illustrated. This is in 71, right, at, at, yeah. at Marion? Yes. And what we were doing is we were showing, we were taking pictures. If you look back at that old Sports Illustrated book, you will see me in there with a safari hat on and a hatchet with a snake over the hatchet and the whole thing. And what I was doing is I was going around the golf course, and they were trying to show how tall the rough was. And, and hell, you can see it. The rough was over my knees, you know, and, and it was like I was snake hunting, and they took these pictures and everything. And that snake was actually in the bag when we went into the playoff on Monday, and I reached in there to get a glove, and there's the rubber snake. And Jack was across, and if you look at the ABC clip, Jack was sitting on one of those little little uh, one-stick stool, and, and, and he was sitting there. And I took the snake out, and I pelled it up, and the people all started laughing and everything. And then Jack looked at it, and then Jack said to me, throw it over here, let me look at it. And see, nobody ever caught that. So I threw it over to him, and he picked it up, and he looked at it. And uh, he, he, he actually, he, the only time that I know that he, that he was ever asked about that snake incident with me present uh, was when Jim Nance did a, uh, did a thing with Jack and I at Augusta about four years ago. 
And that question was asked as we were at the table. He says, tell me about the snake. He says, what about it? He said, he threw it on you. He said, he didn't throw that snake over there. He said, I asked him to throw it over there. And I, I kissed his hand. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I've been getting blamed for throwing a snake on you. For 35 years, huh? <laughs> for 35 oh. years, you know. Oh, God. Lee, let's talk about a little bit on the golf swing. I guess there came a time in your life when you decided to take the left side out of play. Talk talk about how I mean, Mr. Hogan did that years ago, but you took it a different way, and boy, that. But not everybody can do that. You got to have some legs for that shot, right? Well, you have to have a lower body. You got to be strong. You got to be a strong guy. See, I'm only five seven, but I'm as strong as a guy six three. Uh, I've got huge legs. Uh, I've got big upper arms. Uh, I got big shoulders. You know, I carry I carry weight of one ninety four, one ninety five, and I've done it my whole life, and. Uh, uh, I'm a block, you know what I'm saying? And, in fact, J.C. Sneed calls me squatty body, you know. I mean, he always said, you're a block. When I gain weight, I gain it all over, you know, fingernails, you know, you name it. I don't get the pop belly. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I don't get all that stuff. You know, most people that gain weight, their chest caves in and their belly gets big. Mine, everything kind of swells up. But, anyway, um, uh I, I, yeah, the block shot is there. But no one knows how to hit the power face. See, to, to hit a block shot, you've got to have a very strong grip. In other words, you've got to be able to see a couple knuckles on your left hand and no knuckles on your right. And and then you hold it, uh, in other words. Kind of like Azinger a little bit, right, Paul Azinger a little bit? Azinger, Azinger patterned himself that for me. He swings at it exactly like I do. And then we're shoulder hitters, you see. All we do is all we do is take our shoulders and, and, and go with it. And the reason that Azinger and I were so accurate with it is because we take the back of the left hand and we go to the target. That's our club face. See, our club face is the back of the left hand. And you know, most people, the back of the left hand, they don't even know what the hell it's doing. But you have to understand, when you grip a club, Tom, mm-hmm. and you put your left hand on the club, if you will notice that the club face and the back of your left hand are pointing in the same direction, they're pointing at the target. So if your left hand... So if your left hand... In other words, if your left hand opens, the ball's going to go to the right because the club face opens. I mean, it's, it's just attached. It's like a Leroy lettering set. You see what I'm saying? So now, if your left hand rolls to the left, like over your shoe, the ball's going to hook, or you cut across it and it'll slice. The ball's only going to go where the back of your left hand goes. Now, when you putt, don't you take the back of the left hand and go towards the target? Oh, absolutely. Why don't you do it when you hit a shot? See what I'm saying? See, that's what's wrong with Tiger. That's what's wrong with Sergio. That's why these guys hit it so far and so crooked. It's simply because they snap their hands. Anytime you snap your hands, you're going to get a little bit, you're going to get a little bit more of, 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 of speed. You understand? And, and, and the ball's going to go farther, but it's going to go crooked. Well you, well, you sacrificed some distance back then, but back, back then and people weren't hitting at the acreage that they do today, right? Well, we played, see, the, the, the greatest invention ever, everybody talks about the ball and everybody talks about the clubs and, 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 and the guys are bigger, they are. They're in better shape, they are. There's stronger core, yes. They train with tomato juice and orange juice and, 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 and don't eat bread. And See, we, we got wine and bread and Coors and, <laughs> you know, that's how we train. But, yes, but the biggest, biggest improvement ever, Tom, in golf is the mower. It's, it's, it's the maintenance. It's the maintenance of the golf course. It's almost like tennis now. 
These guys are going from place to place, and they're playing exactly the same turf, the same speed greens. Everything's exactly the same. That's what I always said about tennis. I said, it's not hard to be the number one player in tennis. Damn, he's playing the same court every week. He doesn't <laughs> care whether he's in New York, L.A., Toronto, you know, or San Antonio, Texas. It's the same court. Back in my day, you played golf courses. I mean, you didn't recognize them. I mean, you'd go to one, and it was, it was, it was 10 on the stint meter. And then you'd go down here to Texas on Bermuda grass, and it would be six on the stint meter with 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 the, with the grain. I mean, they would cut your hand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 had to adapt to different lives. In other words, different grasses and everything. Not anymore. These guys now. We got agronomists. We got agronomists going around two years to these tournament sites and saying, "Okay, you mow it this way, mow it that way. We want to cut this way. We want this. We want that." And not you see, so these guys are all going to the same golf courses day, week after week after week. The greens are the same speed. You know, they have a schedule of top dressing and doing everything else. That's probably why the scores in the majors go so high. Yeah, you know, because it's, it's something totally different than what they're used to week in week out. Oh man, li- listen to me. We we used to play. I mean, when they, when they, the greens, none of the greens were consistent. Some of them would be ten on the stent meter. You get to another green, and hell, it would be five. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. They didn't have a, 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 a today. I mean, these guys are going. Look at the USGA. The USGA takes a tournament over for two years. They prepare it for a golf tournament. You know. But you mentioned you mentioned equipment, and you've been a great representative for whatever product you've repped over the years. But you've got a real special relationship with Bridgestone. Yeah, I have to believe in it. If I don't believe in it, I won't endorse it. I, the money's not uh, not what I chase. Uh, I chase uh, products that I believe in. Yeah. Talk about Bridgestone. I mean, you got a great relationship with those guys. I, I fell into it. You're not going to believe how I fell into this. As you well know, I was with Top Flight for years and years. And I wanted to develop a golf ball that was high, was a high-end golf ball, multi-layer, uh, for, a slower, for a slower swing speed. Uh, now they have golf balls for slower swing speeds, but they're not, they're not the top, top dollar ball. You understand? It's not like the Pro V1, Pro V1X, uh, or the, or the, or the, or the number one ball, which is the um, 330, the, the 330 uh, Bridgestone 330 uh, 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 for Bridgestone. I wanted a golf ball that was built exactly the same, same material. Forty-four dollars, forty dollar a dozen, but I wanted multi-layer, and I wanted it down to where a guy could compress this ball and get the feel and the maximum distance out of it that that most that that most players swing, which is around eighty-three to ninety-two miles an hour. That's the average swing, and the ladies are even slower than that, and they're not making a ball. Oh yeah, they make a they make a different ball that's that's lower compression that you can go get for. You know, for $12 a dozen. There's nothing wrong with that ball, but it's not a top ball. I wanted a top ball for these guys. And, and, and what happens is, is most people, most people that play, play with the wrong ball. They want to play with what the pros play. Remember what we say on there? Don't play what the pros play. Play what fits your game. Right. So I wanted to do that with top flight. They didn't want to do it. Chairman of the board came to my house and sat in my living room trying to get me out of retirement to come back out. So how I got with Bridgestone is the funniest thing in the world. I read, a, I read an ad, and the ad said, we have a ball for a slower swing speed under 103 miles an hour, which is the 330RX 
and the RXS. And I said, that's, I told my wife, I said, that's what I've been looking for. So, and a high-end ball, high quality. So I'm running a tournament down here for the Boy Scouts. I got 270 players. We're going to put a little little gift in their golf cart. So my my job is to get the prizes and the and the gifts. So I, I said I got to get these balls. How many dozen do we need? He said, Hell, we're going to need 60 to 65 dozen. So I started calling around. I said, You know what? I said Bridgestone makes a ball of exactly what I'm looking for. So I I looked it up on the on the on the uh, computer. Got the uh, 800 number. And I called Atlanta, and I got some lady, and she said, is this really Lee Trevino? And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. <laughs> Let me put you with somebody else. So I called, and then, and then Dan Murphy got on the phone. And Dan says to me, he says, what do you need? So I told him, and I explained to him about the ball and what I thought. And the next thing I know is, is he sent me 72 dozen. He gave them to me for my Boy Scouts. He gave them to me the last two years again. And I said to him, I said, uh, this is what I I said, because I want to help that guy out there that's looking for a little more distance, and he's playing with a ball that's too hard. And he said, that's how you figure. I said, yeah, I think you make the best golf ball on the market. I said, I don't think there's any question about it. So he called me back about about a month later, and he said, how would you like to do a commercial with, uh, with uh, couples? And I didn't even ask him for any money or nothing. I said, I'd love to. I said, you got to talk to my agent. I said, but you all settle that deal. I said, but I'd love to do it. And I've been with them ever since. Now, I have another idea for them. I, I think it's still a little bit confusing to the, to the regular guy out there about what ball he should play with. And I think you should – th- my question, I, here's what I'm going to try to get them to do. I'd like to see them. As you well know, most golf courses have four tees, right? Correct. They have the red, they have the white, they have the blue and the black. Right? Four tee markers. I would like – I would like to see, and I'm going to ask a Bridgestone, I'd like to see us make a golf ball that now you go by the color of the box of what tee markers you play. Great idea. See, so if you so if you play the white, it's in a white box, 70 compression. If you play the red, you understand? It's an mm-hmm. 80 compression ball in a red box. Now you don't get confused. You say, <laughs> hey, hey, Harry, what tees you play off of? Red. That's a lady's tease. That's where I play. Okay, no problem. He gets him a box of red balls. <laughs> Great you know idea. Just, it's, it's almost too simple, right? Well, see, well, see, I didn't go to college, see. That's why I can think of all this stuff. <laughs> see, you, you, guys, you guys all went to college. See, y'all, if it's not in that book, hell, y'all can't think of it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, this has been great. Hey, before we close, we like to give something away to our listeners each week. I wonder yeah. if you can help me out with this one. With this one, yeah. We from episode one hundred and nine, four episodes ago, with Dave Pels. Dave Pels, we got an Odyssey Dart Mallet putter to give away to one of our lucky listeners. And we had a couple hundred. We had a couple hundred people register, and I'm going to let Lee give the name of that person. And the winner is Phil Long, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I just left there. <laughs> Congratulations, Phil. Not only did uh, he gonna get a putter, you got the Hall of Famer calling out for you, man. A putter. I remember that putting video you had in the 80s. You, is that thing still around? Oh, yeah. Downhill right breaker. Put put your hands ahead and let the toe cover for you, right? Toe cover. That's exactly right. That's awesome. Lee, final, thought, final thoughts for our listeners today? I'll, I'll tell you what. Thank you. I, I just want to thank them. I want to thank them for uh, uh, supporting a game that, that I have a, a, a passion and uh, – come by the store uh, i mean we got we got a lot of stuff over there but try that try that bridgestone 
at 330RX. And the S in the wintertime gives you a little more spin. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great. Anytime, I'm in. And thanks to you, our listeners, and what an episode it was. And So join us next time when we have another episode of Golf Better at edwinwattsgolf.com. So long, everyone. <laughs>